0: Dog that's always surrounded by fire that just says yes. this is fine. This is fine. That's, that's me. Um, <laughs> but like, probably in the first panel, I would say by the time this episode comes out, it's going to be uh, everything is going to be fully engulfed, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to be uh,
1: totally unsure of what to do. Interesting.
0: Uh, why do you? Why do you say that? Uh, because Sunday is the last day that we have. To pack up everything that we own. Wow. And uh, right now we are trying to find time to pack, um, but we are booked solid this week. And it doesn't help that my five hour radio show took me six hours to do today because it's uh, it is a special uh, all day long charity event it's uh, a like total break from programming um but it it just took a lot more effort yeah jeez,
1: wow well anytime you want a major life change hiatus i'm sure the world will understand
0: we uh we might need one next week <laughs> at least at least next week
1: <laughs> yeah well yeah let me let me know so should we get going should we get started
0: <laughs> yeah let's do it
1: all right, welcome to No Hugging, No Learning.
0: It's a show about one thing, watching Seinfeld for the first time.
1: I'm Tim Murphy. And I'm Ted Hollowell. And today we will be talking about Season 9, Episode 11, The Dealership. But before that, what's the deal with stuff from our last episode, The Strike. Uh, lots of people were looking forward to this episode. Uh, so thanks for you know chiming in on social media and stuff like that. Uh, let's start with Kevin McDonald, who pops up right at the beginning of the episode. We both recognized him. Uh, From all of the various work he's done, he is currently 60 years old, uh, Canadian actor, voice actor, comedian, of course, a member of the comedy troupe, The Kids in the Hall. That's where I recognize him from, which he founded with his friend Dave Foley. Their TV series ran from 88 to 95. We were already pretty much like leaning, not even leaning like this was solidly just a fun cameo from last episode because it was two years after that, you know, sort of popular cult. Yeah, yeah. TV series ran. Uh, He played Pastor Dave in that 70s show. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, my
0: God. Yeah, I totally (laughs) forgot Pastor Dave. Jeez. I
1: I was not a 70s show. You know, I liked it when I watched it, but I was never, uh, you know, I never saw a lot of the episodes, so I I was not familiar with him. But uh, he was Harry Potter in epic movie. Oh my uh. God. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: I'm ashamed at how many times I have seen Epic Movie. And it comes up a lot. A actually, lot of these. Actually, no. You know what? I think I've only <laughs> seen Epic Movie once. I think I may have uh, gone on this rant before. I've seen Date Movie way too many times.
1: Yeah. And I get them all mixed up. So I was just about to say that a lot of these bit players <laughs> in the Seinfeld universe will pop up in. And it might be epic movie or date movie, but I know it comes up a lot. And yeah, so he was in that. Uh, he was in uh, actually in Ellen's sitcom. He played a radio personality. Uh, he huh. was on news radio with his buddy Dave Foley. He was in Yes, Dear, uh, another popular show in the, in the Seinfeld yes. universe. <laughs> uh, he, apparently, he was on a couple of episodes of Mad TV. And interestingly enough, I can't believe I've never seen this. He's in the music video for Roses by Outkast.
0: Huh. <laughs> okay.
1: Now I really um, have to go watch that video
0: before we before we move too far out of uh out, what was his name Kevin Kevin uh, McDonald Kevin McDonald another McDonald speaking of Mad TV that has also appeared on Seinfeld yes popped up in Halloween kills I don't know if you had a chance to watch this yet Tim but he's got watch a pretty it. a pretty decent part Michael McDonald <laughs>
1: I saw somebody posted a still of him and another character who I guess has a lot of screen time with him. Uh, Maybe they both play cops or something like that. And uh, I don't know what the context was because I haven't seen the movie. But I was like, is that Michael McDonald?
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. uh, They are. They are a gay couple that get murdered by Michael. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. I mean, they get murdered by who else? You know? (laughs) Well,
1: murdered them getting murdered is the spoiler, not who the murderer oh, is. <laughs> oh,
0: come on. You go into Halloween knowing everyone's gonna die. That's everyone, not except, even a spoiler. everyone except Jamie
1: Lee Curtis, I guess. I yeah, hope. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um I I want to add too before we get too far away from it, Roses is one of my least favorite outcast songs. And I as I say this as a person who likes Andre three thousand stuff better than Big Boy. And but I just could not get past the fact that the chorus contained the words roses smell like boo boo over and over and over again and i was like i i'm going to have to back off calling audrey 3000 a musical genius for a while uh before you know and i think that that has soiled his musical geniusness for me forever the fact that he was like let's see roses smell like boo boo yes i'll say that Uh, to close out this great chorus. Uh, So Kevin McDonald has worked in a ton of animation, most notably notably providing the voices of Agent Wendy Pleakley in the Lilo and Stitch franchise, and Waffle in the show Cat Scratch, the almighty tallest purple in Invader Zim. He also did some work in Angry Beavers, and Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends.
0: Oh, man. Foster's was awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah. I know that was a favorite of the uh, sort of early Cartoon Network, kind of. Kramer says to Jerry, they're not cloning sheep. It's the same sheep. I saw Harry Blackstone do that trick with two goats and a handkerchief on the old Dean Martin show. Uh, I recognize the name of Blackstone thanks to an appearance on a kids' show that I'll talk about in a second. But first, Harry Bouton Blackstone Jr., who actually died in 97 at age 62 of pancreatic cancer. So oh, I didn't no. see. I know. Uh, I didn't see when. I should look. It just occurred to me that he died the same year that this uh, episode came out. Well, now when you search Blackstone, all you get is like uh, grills that I guess are called yeah. Blackstone. I can't believe they get get away with that. Um, <laughs> let me see. Harry Blackstone Jr. Uh, died in May of ninety seven. So he had just died when this episode came out. It was like fresh oh, by a wow. few months. Yeah. Um, American stage magician, author, television performer. He was the son of Harry Blackstone Sr., who died in 1965 at age 80, uh, who was also a famous stage musician and illusionist of the 20th century, uh, who began his career in his teens and was popular in uh, World War II as a USO entertainer, often billed as the Great Blackstone. This is an odd uh, stat, but it was in his Wikipedia page. Harry Blackstone Jr. is estimated to have pulled 80,000 rabbits from his sleeves and hats. <laughs> who was who was counting? Um, Blackstone's backstage with Blackstone appearances on PBS's Square One TV uh, were what I mentioned in the last episode. And that's where he used magic tricks to teach math to young people. And that was a favorite of his many TV appearances uh, of him. And uh, one of my favorites too, where I really, really the only... Touchstone I have for Blackstone, uh, and so it was obviously Blackstone Junior that Kramer was talking about because the Dean Martin show ran from 1965. That was the year that Blackstone Senior died, and it ran till 1974 for 264 episodes, according to lists I found. Blackstone never appeared on this show, so Kramer was misremembering something that he saw on TV. Obviously, uh, here's an interesting, here's here's a weird twist though. Blackstone's wife, whose name was Gay Gay Blackstone, uh, was okay. a dancer before they met and had a recurring gig on the Dean Martin Variety Show, which ah. ran from 1959 to 1960. As uh, I guess his group of dancers were called the Gold Diggers, so it was a real, you know, <laughs> you know, 59 to 60 was not really the you know the bastion of the feminine movement that. You know, uh, I guess it hadn't really touched, especially on the Dean Martin variety show. You know, he was another guy who maybe wasn't at the (laughs) forefront of that movement either. So uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the gold diggers welcome the gold diggers to the stage. Uh, So yeah, uh, so Blackstone wasn't on there, but Blackstone's (laughs) wife was on And, and that would be the old Dean Martin show, you know, considering the new Dean Martin show would be the one that ran from 65 to 74. But anyway, Blackstone was never on either show. Uh, What about H&H bagels? That's where Kramer works as a bagel technician after the 12-year strike ends. Uh, H&H was started in 1972 when Puerto Rican Helmer Toro and his brother-in-law, Hector Hernandez, hence H&H. Hector Hernandez actually had both H's. It should have been H&H&H. Helmer and Hector Hernandez. They bought Midtown Bagels at Broadway and 80th for 5000 in cash and took out a $50,000 loan, so about $350,000 in today's money. Toro eventually assumed full control of H&H, and in 74, he opened a Midtown location, H&H Midtown Bagels East, but it wasn't in Midtown. It was on the Upper East Side, so I don't know. Maybe it was somewhere <laughs> in between. Uh, in 79, H&H went bankrupt for the first time, which resulted in a new group taking ownership of the Upper East Side location while he retained ownership of the original Upper West Side location. In 09, the Manhattan District Attorney indicted and arrested Helmer Toro for stealing, withholding taxes, and evading unemployment insurance taxes. And Toro's portion of H&H filed for bankruptcy protection in 2011. It's to that point, the newer West 46 location and West 80th retail locations closed in January of 2012. I read like the Marshals had to shut it down because like it was still running and it wasn't supposed to because of this, <laughs> because of the indictment and arrest of the owner for all of the, you know, the, oh uh, my the financial crimes. And, and the Marshals ended up having to like go in and kick everybody out, and like lock up the door and stuff. Um, before closing in January of 2012, the original store and bakery had been the largest bagel manufacturer in New York City. And H and H continues to be one of the largest bagel manufacturers. With their four retail and catering locations, they have a global wholesale business and a nationwide shipping business. So, if you want, for about fifty bucks, you can get a dozen bagels, a dozen H and H bagels, yeah, shipped to your house. Ah, <laughs> uh, I know it's not worth it. Would, not worth it. I wouldn't think so. Not even having tasted no. them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why are they so much? Is it just because of the shipping?
1: It's the name, and yeah. However, they prepare Ugh. them to ship. Probably, whatever they ship them in is probably some special container. And yeah, uh, fifty bucks for a dozen. They do have cool shirts. I gotta say, the, the shirts are still like thirty-five bucks for a T-shirt or something like that. But they do have a cool logo on them. Uh, so if you don't want to spend fifty bucks for a dozen donuts, uh, and you are in the area, the uh, current H and H locations are at fifteen fifty one second Second Columbus Avenue uh, on the Upper East Side. Five twenty-six Columbus Avenue on the Upper West Side, and there's also locations at JFK and LaGuardia, and supposedly opening this fall, uh, an H and H in the Moynihan Train Hall, which is kind of part of Penn mm. Station there, uh, midtown, okay. southish. Yeah, so if you're taking the train in or flying in, you can you can hit up H and H.
0: Shout out to our NYC listeners.
1: Yeah, yeah. If you want to ship us some bagels, uh, you yeah. know, please uh, please do. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to no, ship. no
0: obligation. No yeah. obligation, but we will gladly accept them. A dozen um, to me and get, a
1: dozen to Ted.
0: Yeah, it, it gets tricky with us being in two separate locations and me being in a different location by the time most of you listen to this.
1: Yeah, your bagels are not going to have to be forwarded. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, what about the actor? This was uh, sort of, I don't know if I, yeah, I did write this down as homework. Uh, Dave Florek played the manager of H&H, and I recognized him. Well, I thought I recognized him from a piece of clip art. I always associate this actor with a piece of clip art that that used to be in, like, Microsoft Word in 98 (laughs) or 99 of a truck driver. And, God, I can't find it. But if I ever do, I know.
0: Man. I know.
1: Um, Maybe I should open, I didn't even try opening up Word and... and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> looking at the clip art in there, but I have like word 11 or whatever, you know, whatever the,
0: whatever the last have, like, one the, was. You have like the new version of yeah. word. You're
1: not going to have like word 98. <laughs> yeah. It might've even been works. I don't know why, but I, I talked about this before because George has, um, I think both uh, software packages on his desk in an, in an episode that you can see, but one is Microsoft, Microsoft works and Microsoft word. And I never understood what the difference was, but they had two word processing programs. Um, He's also been in a couple episodes of Young Sheldon, Grey's Anatomy, Justified, Castle Bones. He worked with Julia Louis-Dreyfus on The New Adventures of Old Christine. Uh, He also was on that 70s show. He did, and I think I remember him from this too, 41 episodes of Grace Under Fire. I think he was like a love interest for Grace or something like that on that show. Did I already mention Ghostbusters 2? He appears in Ghostbusters 2. That's the uh, other place. He may have? I don't know. Yeah, I couldn't remember if I started with that or not, or if I got distracted by the Microsoft thing. But um, he plays the cop in Ghostbusters 2 that rolls up on the crew when they are uh, jackhammering through the middle of the street. He, he also was an Ellen sitcom, just like Kevin McDonald, uh, Fresh Prince. He played Coach Smiley on Fresh Prince. And as you remembered, he was Mr. Chopsaw on Ned's declassified school survival guy. (laughs) The one thing
0: I recognized him from being Mr. Chopsaw.
1: Yes. He's still working a ton, though. Uh, Here's an interesting... So this is a bit of extra credit before we get to the trivia and tidbits. The unnamed sleazy guy is named Tracy Letts. And he, after uh, being in this uh, episode in 97, went on to be uh, a great American actor, playwright, and screenwriter... He won the Pulitzer Prize for Drama, and huh. he won the Tony Award for Best Play for his production, August Osage County, in 2007. Wow. I know. And, and they made a movie of that, too, with like Nicole Kidman and Julia Roberts, or one, or neither, I forget. Oh, Meryl Streep might be in it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they made a movie out of it. But it, he, he won a Pulitzer and a Tony, and he was playing wow. just an unnamed sleazy character in this episode. <laughs> he, he also has a Tony for Best Actor for his portrayal of George in the revival of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf in 2013?
0: Jeez, that is like the ultimate trivia question for his life. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) He is also known for his portrayal of Andrew Lockhart in seasons three and four of one of my favorite shows, Homeland, on Showtime. Uh, And he also got two SAG nominees uh, for that role as a member of the ensemble in Homeland. Uh, He was also in Prison Break, and I totally... Uh, based on this too he was in season two of the sinner which i totally recognize the bill pullman show which uh my wife and i started binge watching a few months ago and uh is really good if you're looking for if you're in a show hole and you want like a cool uh, especially the first season it's got bill pullman as like a grizzled detective and um yeah he's in season two uh so in julia louis dreyfus's episode of comedians and cars getting coffee she clued Jerry in, and he appa- apparently is stunned when she informs him that an actor who played a bit part on their show went on to win the Pulitzer. <laughs> um, so, here's some extra trivia and tidbits. What about, what's the deal with Festivus? So, Festivus is based, as I mentioned, on a real holiday created by writer Dan O'Keefe's father, uh, though several aspects with no basis in the real holiday were added. Uh, and some of those include the aluminum pole. That was not a part of the original Festivus that the show's based on, and the December twenty three observance. The real Festivus had no set date and was held spontaneously. Uh, there were airing of grievances into a tape recorder and wrestling between uh, Daniel O'Keefe and his two brothers. So the feats of strength and the airing of grievances were actually parts of Festivus, but the pole. And b- it being on December 23rd, we're not. So I actually have, and you might have seen me tweet this, Ted. I actually have the book Festivus, The Holiday for the Rest of Us, which is by <laughs> Alan Salkin with a foreword by Jerry Stiller. And it is all about how to celebrate Festivus. Uh, there's only a small chapter on the history. So um, that's hmm. really what I wanted to focus on. Not how people celebrate it after the episode aired and, and the legacy of the episode, but like where it actually came from. So if you want to know, how people have um, taken this holiday that's mentioned on a show once and ran with it. Um, like, there's a whole chapter of, about the Festivus poll. I think. It's if you like, wanna, if you yeah. wanna
0: know more about this one thing that was mentioned on a TV show once in 1997, yeah, <laughs> then then here it is.
1: Yeah, th- there's there's like. 15 pages of history, and then the rest of it is just, um, you know, all about how people celebrated around the world and around the country. So the word Festivus can actually be dated back to 3rd century B.C. It was also used to name a snail in 1844 by a marine biologist. I, you know, I thought I'd throw that in just because, you know, George wants to be a marine biologist. Uh, So a weird connection there. The observance of the strike took its cue from the holiday that started in nineteen sixty six as so Daniel O'Keefe the writer for Seinfeld and his dad are both Daniel O'Keefe so it's a little confusing so Daniel O'Keefe <laughs> senior wanted to commemorate the anniversary of his first date with his wife um which is not december twenty third there's no mention in the book of when that actually was which is kind of disappointing uh, for you know a book that purports to be all about festivists but um, I, I also don't know how I feel about first date anniversaries. I don't. I don't like them. I do know how I feel, but my wife always remembers like when it was the anniversary of our first date, and I'm like, I don't have to remember that. There's already too many observances of like you know that got superseded by our <laughs> wedding anniversary, and I'm not getting presents or flowers or cards or or anything anymore for this first date anniversary. Um, <laughs> where Where do you stand on that?
0: Well, Grace and I were pretty smart in the very beginning where. We started dating technically, I think, on like February 11th or 12th. But mm-hmm. both of us just said, "Do you want to make our anniversary on Valentine's Day? It'll be <laughs> easier to remember. And we were like, yeah, perfect. Combine it. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So now, I mean, we're still going to celebrate Valentine's Day because it's Valentine's Day. But we celebrate Valentine's Day slash our dating anniversary And then our wedding anniversary.
1: Perfect. Yeah. I have a friend who kind of did what you did, but like almost took it to the next level because they got married on Valentine's Day because they didn't really like Valentine's Day. And so they're like, now it's actually going to mean something to us. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So there are some Festivus rituals that were a part of the original celebration that are not in the episode The Strike. One is a clock in a bag. And Daniel O'Keefe said he didn't know what that symbolized. And also Festivus had a theme every year. Like, is there a light at the end of the tunnel or too easily made glad? Um,
0: (laughs) I know. What?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I love that. I feel like they could have written that in, like Frank declaring, like, the theme of this year's Festivus is... Something hilarious that the Seinfeld writers came up with. <laughs> those are
0: those are just mishmashed sentence fragments.
1: Yeah, yeah, too easily made glad. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so because the you know, but the one thing that it does have in common with the 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 um holidays celebrated in the strike is that it was an expression of what was happening organically. In the brains of the family and not about feeling how you're told to. You know, like as George says in the episode, where's your Christmas spirit? You know, you're supposed to be nice to everybody and supposed to feel a certain way and your heart's supposed to be warm over Christmas. But if you don't feel that way, there's a Festivus for the rest of us. They talk to in this book some of the actors like Tracy Letts, the Pulitzer Prize winning playwright um, who plays unnamed counter guy and Colin Malone, (laughs) who plays Charlie and Daniel Von Bargen, who plays Kruger. Um, but I want to mention Colin Malone, who plays Charlie, the named counter guy. He rose to prominence in the mid-90s in L.A. for his cable-access television show, "Colin Sleazy Friends, in which he interviewed porn stars. <laughs> yeah. um, his two lanes are were Elaine Bennis and I'm a man, or as I heard it, I'm a man. Me- uh, but he and so he said a Seinfeld casting director saw Colin sleazy friends called me in and gave me a part if you're known as the guy who did the porno show it's sort of a weird thing but it got me in Festivus uh, I was leaving for the day after I did the scene at the racetrack and these two writers who were fans of my show said oh Kramer wants to bring Colin with him to the Festivus party it meant I had to work the rest of the day and it went very late and ended up making thousands and thousands more dollars <laughs> uh, which is awesome. <laughs> Uh, and the two writer guys said I should just sit next to Elaine and I was supposed to make Elaine uncomfortable. Um, I had a line they didn't use as they go around the table. I'm looking at Elaine and I'm drooling at her and he's supposed to say, you're a foxy Fox. And before we shot it, Michael (laughs) Richards said, Michael Richards told him you should go up to her and say, you're foxy, really, really foxy and jump on the table and pull down your pants. I wasn't a member of that. I know. (laughs) I wasn't a member of SAG at the time, and I was like, "Dude, if I was you, maybe, but I'm not gonna be rewriting dialogue and stepping on people. I'm just gonna do what they tell me and hope the check clears." <laughs> 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 I just love that story. That I don't know what I don't know what Michael Richards' end game was. <laughs> like maybe trying to get this dude in trouble or something. But like, uh, you know, lucky for the dude who ran the porno show was like smarter than you know than Michael Richards. Enough, or yeah, or at least smarter enough at the time to go. <laughs> Uh, you know, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, so that's all the stuff I have about Festivus. What about the human fund? It was conceived by writer Jeff Schaefer and based on Christmas cards that the Seinfeld staff would receive from Castle Rock, which was the production is the production company that put out Seinfeld. But the human fund is also the name of a real organization. Now based in Cleveland established in 2005, the organization did draw its name <laughs> from the episode. It wasn't just a, a dumb coincidence. Okay. It would be hilarious if they were like, why are we getting so much? (laughs) This is great. We're taking off like right away. Everyone's especially around (laughs) Christmas Uh, to enhance the ugliness of Gwen's ugly side. The crew made actress Karen Feynman wear a prosthetic behind her lip and put bits of tissue inside her nose to make it look bigger. The original Mm. plan for this episode was to have two women playing the part of Gwen. Suzanne Krull was going to be the ugly Gwen, while Karen Feynman would have been pretty Gwen. And in the end, it was decided that having the same role played by two different women would be too confusing for the audience. So Feynman played the part of both Gwen's instead.
0: I was gonna say that'd be that'd
1: kind of suck for the woman whose <laughs> like only role is ugly Gwen. I know. I, I always feel bad when someone is cast in a movie and like obviously supposed to be ugly. you know, I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I feel bad. that's why um there there's that famous thing from. Home Alone, where Buzz's girlfriend is actually a boy in a wig because John Hughes didn't want to cast like an to ugly have... yeah they didn't yeah yeah like an ugly tween girl going like oh that's my ugly face like you know <laughs> that that Macaulay Culkin's going woof to in this movie that all my friends saw because <laughs> we're in the target audience so uh, yeah he just found a, a boy who was game I always like that story uh, and that's all the trivia and tidbits all righty uh, do we got any news or anything. Not that I saw. Not that I mean the uh, the uh, season eleven of Curb Your Enthusiasm is um, ramping up. You know they've released. I think they've released when it's coming out, and they've released a a trailer, like maybe a full trailer for the thing. Huh, so if that's okay. of any interest to anybody, I don't know why it would be, but you know, yeah, Larry David's in that, it.
0: Yeah, that that's interesting. I, I'm I'm sure that's that's of of no no use to anyone else. Right, right. Um, but, uh, okay. Yeah. I guess we don't have any other news or anything. Uh, if you've never listened to us before, we are not a research heavy show, despite the last 27 minutes being exclusively research, and bullshit. We like to have our questions pop up naturally in the run of the episode and assign them to ourselves the week following as though we are giving ourselves homework. Uh, I've never seen these episodes before. Tim has never seen these episodes before in chronological order. After being a lifelong fan for years, if we miss anything, if we egregiously skip over something, please send us an email or send us a tweet. It's at nohugging on Twitter or at gmail.com. Both of those links are in the description and also down in the description is a link to our freshly launched Patreon. We have a couple of tiers, $5 and up. Actually, just the $5 tier gets you access to our Halloween month of exclusive Patreon bullshit movie reviews. Um, I, I think, yeah, as of this one coming out, we'll have just released a new one, but the latest one that we've recorded and released as of us recording. This is The Adams Family.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a
0: good one. And uh, yeah, you can check that out. It's patreon.com slash nohugging. Link is down in the description. Uh, if you would like to support the show, but you don't want to give us any money, you can also do that uh, by giving us a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts, much like David from Coopersburg, PA did. And I, I say all of that because that's exactly how David put his name in on Apple Podcasts. It's David from Coopersburg, PA as okay. his name. And I, <laughs> I kind of like that. <laughs> David says, best Seinfeld podcast ever. I came across No Hugging No Learning over a year ago during the during a shout out on the Solomonster Monster Sounds Off podcast. Yes. Uh, just, just a shout out ad that I bought on a wrestling podcast. Uh, and i become addicted to these guys. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Right. I'm in th- I'm the same age as Tim and have watched Seinfeld for years and really enjoyed listening to his memories of being a fan for years and getting Ted's perspective as a new viewer. I enjoyed listening to the older episodes of the podcast so I can catch up on what I missed and enjoy Ted always seeming to mess up the opening lines to the podcast and how the show has become <laughs> more of a research heavy show.
1: David, you got that
0: right uh great job guys and though we're nearing the end of the series i look forward to what you will be doing next speaking of that uh those on our patreon already know what we are doing Mm -hmm. next so if you want a little insider information uh i'm not going to give you inside stock information because i (laughs) like not being in jail but inside information on the show you can hit up the patreon All that being said, uh, season nine, episode 11, The Dealership, original air date, January 8th, 1998, three weeks after our last episode, so we are post-winter break with this episode, and also what we are post is my fifth birthday. I was five years and 19 days old at the time this episode aired, and Tim, if you are counting this episode and every other episode we've got left, we have 12
1: episodes until we become a... I think uh, we should become, I think the podcast is called Every Day is Festivus, and we travel around the country and go to all the different Festivus. We review a different Festivus observance in in every episode. I don't know how we're going to do it because. We're going to have to be in
0: so many places at once because they're all held on December 23rd.
1: Yeah. We're going to have to do a lot of work on December
0: 23rd. Man. Maybe that's not going to work. no, I hope there's a festivist celebration in Texas. I I would like to go to one.
1: You know, um, I I don't know. I don't think I mentioned it. The reason I have this book is because it came out when I was doing morning radio, my first um, my first full time gig, uh, and but like my first full time morning show anyway. And the co-host, we didn't agree on much, but we both <laughs> loved Seinfeld. And so we celebrated Festivus one year on the air, and I got—I <laughs> went and got an aluminum pole from Home Depot, and I put it up in the studio, and we did the airing of grievances, and I that rules. But yeah, people could call in and complain. I don't, I don't remember what we, did, what we did for feats of strength. I think we just did like maybe a little theater of the mind, uh, like wrestling <laughs> match, um, and just oh, made some man. noise on the mic.
0: Nowadays, um, nowadays you can do Facebook Live arm wrestling.
1: Yeah, arm wrestling would have been good. Ah. Oh. Um, but yeah, so we, uh, we we did have a little festivist celebration so yeah awesome. um, here's really the other like weird that. here's the other weird connection he he might have worked at the station you're going to and was a huge Aggies fan because he spent so much time in college station like no way he didn't <laughs> he didn't go to Texas or anything um, or Texas Am but um <laughs> but he would live there for so long he was like just love the aggies and so yeah I know weird
0: <laughs> I I mean I've been. Uh, I've been on my new station for about two months now, yeah, and I, I have immersed myself into being an Aggies fan. I think I've at least watched clips of every game they've had this season, if not actually sitting down to watch the game. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you got to. I mean, hell, it's been five or six years since I've lived in Mississippi, and I still follow the SEC football. You know, I'm like, oh, well, who's Ole Miss playing? What's Alabama up to, you know? Um, so it just, you, you just have to be, it's like, you know, being in Pittsburgh and having to be a Steelers fan, or at least know what happened, you know, know what everyone's going to be talking about. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Oh boy. All righty. Well, if you're looking at TV guide, the night of January 8th, 1998, you are going to see Jerry negotiates buying a car from putty period. George can't get a Twix out of a vending machine period. Kramer takes a salesman on a thrilling test drive.
1: Hmm. Not bad. I like the last one especially, but I think we can make the first part better, but we'll see what we can do with it when we get to the end of the episode. Uh, we start with a cold open. Jerry and George are on a car lot. They're looking at cars and George is lamenting that what happened about what happened with the flying cars we were promised? Uh, and Jerry says that I think Ed Bagley Jr. has one, but George goes, no, that's just electric. And <laughs> I'm just going to write this down right away because I know who Ed Bagley Jr. is and This joke was also made on The Simpsons. Do you remember the episode where um, they... I think it might have been the one where they uh, all chain themselves to trees but Ed Ed Bigley Jr. is there and he's driving a car that runs on his own sense of self-satisfaction or something like that. Do you remember that? (laughs) Evidently Ed Bigley Jr. was just like a hilarious environmental punchline in the late 90s. (laughs) Um, And maybe like when George goes no, just electric. I'm thinking he was like was it like that hilarious to drive an electric car back in the 90s or the late 90s? You know, I, I guess it must have been, but we'll find out. Um, I'm going to write down specifically Ed Bagley Jr. and electric car. Like, it's like driving an electric car is on the same level as a flying car. They're both just just completely nutso and from the future. Um, Jerry calls out uh, Harrison Ford's flying car from Blade Runner. And I'm like, good for Jerry for having seen Blade Runner. I, I was like,. <laughs> I kind of yeah, see that he as a movie. See any new movies? Yeah, um, and I kind of see that as a movie. Like, didn't he? Doesn't he badmouth Star Wars at some point in the in the show? I think I so. Yeah, there's something that comes up where I'm like, you know, I, I don't know Jerry's what kind of Jerry's Definitely,
0: I I've, I think I've pointed this out before. Jerry's definitely the type of person to even if he doesn't have anything against a show or a movie, purposefully not go see it or watch it because people like it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like Jerry would be the kind of person who posts the memes like share if you have never seen one episode of Game of Thrones. Not I know. not many people can share this. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm ashamed that that used to be me. But then I realized just how fucking insufferable that is.
1: Yeah, it's a great It's great when you just get over that hurdle of because I was the same way. I was like, ah, everything I like is great and everything popular sucks. Um, (laughs) But once you like once you get past that, that gatekeeping nature and some people never do. But like when you have your eyes open up and you go, uh, who cares? Like, um, (laughs) you know, let people like things and you don't have to like them and they don't have to like what you like. Uh, It's great. Life is so much better. Uh, But we don't see Jerry as that kind of person. Um, but I, but I was like, no way he actually saw blade runner. Um, so maybe I am a little <laughs> bit like that. Oh, I don't want, I don't want Chad Jerry to like my cool blade runner. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but I do like what George says. Well, George comes back with like, what, you know, like, obviously that car is the coolest. He's like, what's the competition? Chitty, chitty, bang, bang. Um, but he's like, the government is very touchy about anything in the air. Oh, we can run around down here all we want, but the air, everything in the air is a big production. And then they lament, like, not only do we have no flying cars, there's no floating cities, no underwater bubble cities. And Jerry says, it's like, we're living in the fifties, which I think Jerry would like knowing what we know about him. (laughs) But yeah, absolutely. He just wants the mentality of the fifties with, uh, flying cars and underwater cities. Uh, back on the lot after the uh, first commercial break, uh, Kramer is jumping up and down on a bumper of the uh, the bumper of this car, uh, testing out the shocks. And I love Jerry's line. they like, you'll have plenty of time to destroy it after I buy it. But he points it out to George, I am buying this car. And George freaks out. He's like, don't say that. Don't let him know. You don't even know why you're here. <laughs> Jerry points out this vein that starts popping out of his head. Uh, but Jerry tells George not to worry because Putty is going to give him a deal. And George is like, oh, yeah, my dad once thought he was going to get a deal. Next thing I know, I'm being dropped off in a Le Car. And everyone's yelling, Le George. Bonjour, Le George. Uh, I'm going to write down the the Le Car, too, because there was once in my neighborhood when I was, not in my neighborhood, but I'd see it driving around a lot when I was in high school. A little red Le Car. And I never knew much about it. I don't know. Do you know what it is or when it was made? I've heard yeah.
0: I don't know anything really about it. I've heard the name and I know that it's kind of a punchline of a vehicle. Yeah. But I, I don't know much about
1: it. It must have been a one off, like it seemed really easy to start a car company in the seventies and maybe even the eighties, because it seems like there were a lot of these one off companies like the DeLorean or the Le car or or that the guy Tucker, a man in his dream, whatever that car was. Um <laughs> it just seemed like you know, people could like make a car and have it produced. Um, and then their car company would immediately go belly up because obviously there was like Ford and Chevy and stuff. But I always saw this Le Car, which said Le Car on the side. I thought it was just like a custom paint job. And I was like, maybe they're a Francophile. I don't know what's going on. Uh, but we'll find out more <laughs> about the Le Car uh, next time. And I, I got to mention too, I'm with George on car buying. Nothing terrifies me more then really yeah then going in because i'm like i know i'm gonna get taken i think even the last place i went which you probably know like it should have been a place that gave me a deal and yet i still think we ended up getting taken because of <laughs> you know the the just whatever the deal and how long it lasted and and, and i was like I, I thought i was gonna deal here i think i just got screwed um, so i'm totally <laughs> with george on on this but you're you're not like do you are you comfortable buying cars and, like negotiating and stuff I am. I think I'm just a little bit more comfortable in
0: like a stressful situation like that. Yeah. And the last car negotiation I was in was at that same place you were talking about. Yeah. Um, should probably remain nameless yeah. as we are doing. Um, <laughs> but for, for anybody who knows us, we've spent a lot of time there with the, this one pod- of our former jobs. This
1: podcast was invented there. Absolutely. Oh, my God. You're right. That and Land World. Land World. Well, Land World was invented <laughs> after it was at a different dealership, but it was That's we right. had been at that dealership earlier that day, I think, because that was our like twelve-hour th- three remote day or whatever.
0: <laughs> I, I I think Land World only exists because we were doing <laughs> like twelve hours of work. You're right, and we yeah. were just so fucking delirious by yeah. the end of it. Someone was like, "What would
1: the opposite of Water World be?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were talking about. A movie, yeah, where it was it was nothing but land and water was very scarce, but it you know, and we were like, Of course that'd be called land world and it just cracked us up to no end. We laughed about it for the next hour and a half, I think. Yeah, I was all hopped <laughs> up on monster energy drink, I'm sure.
0: <laughs>
1: it was either um, that or cut no, what- through some drywall. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Uh, but no, I, I well, last automobile negotiation I was in was at that same place. Yeah. And I feel like we got a pretty decent deal. Um, my wife traded in the vehicle and sold it back to the dealership. Yeah. And they gave us uh, much more than I think they needed to given the condition of the car. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that definitely helped out.
1: That's the um, way I think I got a deal as well. I think they gave me a little bit more for the trade in. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I I think we still got a, a pretty decent deal on what vehicle we ended up buying.
1: Yeah, maybe maybe we did too. I just I just don't know, and that's what I don't want them to know. But I'm sure it's painfully obvious that I don't know every time whenever I go in, you know. <laughs> and I just uh, you know I, I, I just roll over.
0: Yeah, are you a tire kicker? No, I don't think so. Okay, <laughs> Is that just I, like I literally
1: s- kicking the tires.
0: Oh yeah, you're literally kicking the tires and just seeing if it'll fall off because you know that's the one yeah. sign of a well built car. <laughs> but like I think George, either George or Kramer kicks a tire. Kramer's eventually like bouncing on the back bumper
1: to see if yeah. anything falls off. Um but I like so putty's giving him a deal. He's selling cars now and George is like, oh I thought he um I thought he was a mechanic. And I like that Jerry goes, Oh, I guess he graduated. Like, that's the, <laughs> like, there is a hierarchy. That's, of, the,
0: that's the natural evolution <laughs> of mechanics.
1: Yeah. They, they all just want to be salesmen. I'm like, That's probably not true. <laughs> um, but a salesman does approach Kramer as Jerry and George go inside. And Kramer is like, Oh, no, I, I'm here with my friend. He's buying the car. And he's like, Oh, maybe I should talk to him. And Kramer's like, Oh, no. Um, well, I like the first. He's like, Are you looking to buy or lease? And Kramer goes, Borrow. Um, and he says that, like, you know, Jerry is uh, an entertainer and he's, you know, kind of all over the place. And the guy goes, oh, so you're his mana?" And Kramer interrupts, he goes, neighbor, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> decides to take the car out on a little test drive. Uh, meanwhile, in the showroom, George is uh, telling Jerry that the only thing salesmen fear is the walkout and saying, like, all you got to say is I'll walk out right now. <laughs> and a salesman approaches him and George yells, uh, take one more step and we are out of here. Uh, but Putty <laughs> shows up with Elaine after a lunch at Arby's, which you can tell well, Elaine did not want to tell.
0: Yeah, this is we get another like uh, interruption here, much
1: like Kramer and the salesman.
0: Elaine is like, "Yeah, David took me to a restaurant."
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh, and Putty just goes Arby's, Arby's, <laughs> and uh, and he asks for his first high five uh, from Jerry uh, out of the test drive. Kramer is disregarding the salesman's instructions on where to turn to get back to the dealership. And he's like, well, no, this is a test drive, and I never drive around here. I want to make sure this car can handle my daily routine. <laughs> and he's like, the salesman's like, where are we going? He's like, oh, a little place called, uh, a little place I like to call, you'll see. <laughs> and, <laughs> and this had Stuntman Mike vibes from, uh, what's the movie? Damn it. What's the um, Quentin Tarantino grindhouse movie with Kurt Russell? Have you seen it where he has the car? That- oh, yeah is uh, it death-proof, uh, death-proof.
0: which one okay I was yeah. gonna say it's either planet terror or death proof
1: <laughs> yeah no Quentin's was death proof and you can tell because planet terror which was Robert Rodriguez's is all action heavy and disgusting and gory and Quentin Tarantino's is mostly talking which grindhouse movies were not <laughs> but I do as much as I love death proof I'm like why couldn't you make an actual grindhouse movie uh, why did it have to be three hours of talking like every other Quentin Tarantino movie uh, and I say this as a fan, but I, I was like, that's like, that's so stuntman, Mike. Like I would have been so super freaked out if I was the the salesman. Oh, we're just going to a little place. I like to call you'll see. You'll see. <laughs> um, so back in the showroom, George is starving and goes to find some of the free donuts that they put out. Uh, it's a shame. As we've been talking about, it's a shame there was no radio station doing a remote there with some free pizza.
0: Oh, I know, man,
1: <laughs> or some tacos or, you know, or whatever some wings maybe. Uh, yeah. Some free Arby's um, free Arby's. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jerry mentions to putty that, you know, being a salesman seems like kind of an upg- upgrade from grease monkey, which offends putty. Uh, he's like, I don't know any monkeys who can take apart a fuel injector. Uh, and putty's like, uh, or Jerry goes, I know one that does sign language. And, uh, putty goes, Oh yeah, Coco, that chimps. All right. And goes for another high five, which, uh, makes Jerry mad. Uh, George comes back, and there's no more donuts left, so so, uh, Putty says, I'll show you the vending machine, and Jerry confronts Elaine about the new high-five habit, and he calls it the lowest form of primate ritual, Uh, and he's like, even some of them have moved on to sign language, and Elaine's like, oh, come on, is it that bad? He's like, what do you think the Nazis were doing? That was the (laughs) high-five. Jesus (laughs) Christ. And. But I like that Jerry used that to illustrate how bad it was. Come on, that's what they were doing. <laughs> um, but Elaine, did he do the Nazi salute here to illustrate his point? He he does the yeah he doesn't do the full Nazi salute. He does that little one that they would do, like the the little hello where you just kind of put <laughs> your hand up by your shoulder, you know. Uh, oh, so he does okay. do it. Okay. Yeah, he does He doesn't do the full salute. No, he does the little one, and he's like, "That what do you think this was? It was the Heil 5. But and Elaine like groans out, and she's like, "Wait a minute, isn't that from your bit? Isn't that from your act like ten years ago?" <laughs> and that's one of the most realistic things I like about the show is that as a, you know, comedians, you know, they probably are doing that all the time, trying to like, oh, like I have a joke for this situation, I'll drop it in, and then getting called out by their friends, like, "Come on, that's from your act."
0: Yeah, or just to t- testing potential new bits.
1: Yeah, even asking like, "Is this a bit?" Come on. This is this a bit over at the vending machine? I noticed a couple of interesting things Doritos 3D, Cool Ranch. Oh, yes. Classic. Whoa. I didn't see in that. Yeah. Uh, and right around, I think maybe right next to the Twix were Terra chips. Did you see those? No. Terra chips in the same bag that they are sold in to this day. I think. I'm like, why in the last 20 years have they not had one redesign? Uh, of the bag but i guess you know go with what works um george tries inserting the dollar that jerry gave him for the twix that are in b5 uh and a mechanic comes out and the the dollar won't go in because it's all wrinkly the mechanic comes out and gets a snack but he won't trade george his wrinkly dollar for a crisp dollar that's in his wallet uh even though he has one which makes george very angry uh, out of the test drive, Kramer has picked up a giant Tweety Bird that is now in the backseat. That was an errand he had to run. <laughs> and I love that it's not explained. I, I just yeah, love that it's, it's never did... <laughs> it's never acknowledged. That was just one of his errands. Oh, I got to get a giant Tweety Bird. Uh, and he also tries picking up some femininas, as he says. <laughs> um, oh boy. And fails miserably.
0: What does he say here because he yells out to them I think, "Hey ladies, would you like some
1: supplemental restraint?" Supplemental restraint. I think it must have been a like a feature in the sob maybe. Uh, maybe I'll write it down, supplemental restraint. I think it had something to do cuz he's like, "Hey ladies at the sob, yeah, 900." So maybe they had something called supplemental restraint that was like a safety uh, selling point for them or something that's my guess but I'll, I'll write that down i'll put sob ahead of it even um yeah and, and they uh they obviously don't want any supplemental restraint from kramer uh, back over at the vending machine george is digging underneath for change and he says people are too lazy to pick it up and jerry goes or maybe they have a thing about laying face down in filth <laughs> um, and i love this is the even more 90s Then 3D Doritos, Jerry asked George, hey, Putty thinks I should go for the CD player. What do you think? Oh, man. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That he he would not even think about going for... Like, well, I don't know. I still have plenty of cassettes. Uh, Like, yeah, not even thinking about going for the CD player in his sob is mind-blowing. Like, I was definitely already well-transitioned into CDs by 98.
0: Yeah, that's Uh, like... (laughs)
1: That's like waiting until the 2010s
0: to start buying Blu-rays.
1: Yeah. Uh, and he gives George a nickel to round out what it costs to um, get the Twix bar with the change that he found underneath the machine. Uh, but he won't give the dollar back to, George, to Jerry. Can I have my dollar back? No, it's, it's all wrinkled. It's worthless. Uh, anything, to, uh, anything for a buck, Costanza. Uh, but he puts the money in for the Twix and it gets stuck in the vending machine. And a guy walks in at that point, just adding insult to injury, mentioning that, hey, they put fresh donuts out. Oh, this is the last one.
0: (laughs) Why (laughs) even mention it? Yeah. What is the point of him even saying anything?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Back out of the test drive, the salesman and Kramer are now definitely in the city because we see J.G. Mellon that they're driving past, which uh, is on the Upper East Side. 1291 3rd Avenue it is still there as it has been since 1972 and if uh, you ever want what many people call the best hamburger in New York City stop by 1291 3rd Avenue it it, it does sound it sounds pretty good when I was reading this I was like damn now I want Now I want to try that J.G. Mellon you might have noticed the Dwayne Reed on the opposite corner it is now closed and it is uh, ah. Empty empty retail space, or at least the last time the Google car drove through, it was empty retail space. Uh, the car is very low on gas. In fact, it's it's basically on e. But Kramer doesn't want to fill it up because when he takes Jerry's car out, he doesn't want to be the one buying expensive gasoline. Uh, so he wants to. So in other words, the, the salesman says, "You want to see how far you can drive your friend's car for free?" And Kramer goes, "I make it up to him in other ways." <laughs> <laughs> um, and I feel like this was the mentality of everybody who had to drive a station vehicle before I did. There's been a lot of shop talk uh, today uh, for whatever reason. I don't know why these memories are so fresh, but every time I would need to drive a radio station vehicle at any of the radio stations I ever worked at, it would always be basically touching E. I'm like, Come on. <laughs> and then there's like a gas card that you have to like check out. And yeah, like, yep. or, or it's a Saturday and the gas card's locked up. So you got to spend your hard earned money uh, filling this car up and hope you get reimbursed. And <laughs> you later have to wait on. until Monday. You have to wait yeah. until Monday to get
0: reimbursed on your next paycheck.
1: Yeah. You, ha- you essentially have to pay what you were being paid for that remote to fill this giant van up or the Suburban or whatever you were driving <laughs> around. And uh, yeah, wait, that happened to be every me, single me... time.
0: Let me ask you: These are giant cargo vans
1: we're talking about. You weren't filling them up, were you, on your own dime? No, I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't fill them up. But also, like, you know, when I was in D.C., for instance, like, who knows where the re- the remote's going to be? It could be like an hour away, you know. So sometimes, if I was taking out, you know, a suburban or there was like a Lincoln Navigator or whatever, sometimes I would have to fill the whole thing up. But then also, okay. this was like two thousands gas prices too. So like o two o three gas That's- prices. That's
0: very so, true. Not See, if bad, that ever but, happened to me you know. and I if that ever happened to me and I had to use my own money, I'm literally like in NASCAR terms, I'm uh gas and go. Like just a yeah. splash of gas and I am driving the fuck off. I am yeah. not putting more than like $3 of my own money in that thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, totally. Um but everybody everybody who worked before me at radio stations obviously followed the Kramer driving for free. So back over at the vending machine, George pulls a salesman into the room to see that the Twix is stuck, but the Twix is gone, and George looks over, and the mechanic who came out earlier to get a snack ahead of him and wouldn't give him a dollar is now finishing the last of a Twix bar, uh, making George very angry, as he is through a lot of this episode. Uh, In the salesman-only copy room, Putty clears a paper jam for Elaine and goes for a high-five And kind of at Jerry's insistence from earlier, Elaine tells him that the high five is really kind of grease monkey, uh, and it's stupid. And I, I I love this exchange between them. He's like, "I'll tell you what's stupid, you, you, stupid." (laughs) And she's like, "Oh, that's real mature." And he's like, "You are." (laughs) So Putty and Elaine break up over this, and Putty comes back out to his desk and starts adding on to Jerry's car deal all the stuff that George warned him about the rust proofing. There's a transport charge. The storage surcharge. I love the the additional overcharge. (laughs) The finder's fee. Uh, As Jerry says, it was on the lot. Yeah, that's right. Uh, The floor mats and the keys. And when Jerry expresses uh, amazement at that, he goes, how are you going to start it? (laughs) So all of that is now being tacked on to Jerry's deal. Uh, In a service garage... Jerry confronts the mechanic about eating his Twix. Uh, the mechanic tells him it was actually a Fifth Avenue bar. But George is like, oh, no, I don't think so. Uh, everyone knows that he, he spots cookie on his mouth and says, everyone knows that Twix is the only candy with the cookie crunch. <laughs> I love that he knows oh the, can- the Twix slogan. <laughs> Twix is the only candy with the cookie crunch. <laughs> um, and a vein starts popping out of his forehead that the mechanic points out. Uh, Jerry runs in. And uh, makes uh, it makes George aware of the si- situation with Putty now adding all this stuff back on, and George is like, "Well, there's no laws in this place; it's Thunderdome." Which again is how I feel about car dealerships. It just boggles my <laughs> mind that like someone could go in and pay substantially less for a car than the person who comes in right after them, just because of whatever you know, ju- just because of how yeah. well of a ne- how good of a negotiator they are, or. Just the uh, how good of a mood the salesman's in, or how me- how much he sold that month compared to how much. It, it just boggles my mind that like it, 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 haggling over anything really boggles. It's not like someone's coming in and going like it's not like a house. Like I kind of understand why we haggle over house prices. It's like oh this person's going to pay more because houses are at a pr-. like if someone no one's buying that same car that I'm buying. It's like I'll give you a thousand dollars over asking price for it. Like oh well, I'll give you two thousand over asking. <laughs> like that's not how car buying. Works, um. So I just don't understand why we go in and haggle. Like, I I, that's why I love all these new. I they're mostly used car companies. That's the real shame about it. Like, new cars should just be like, here's here's the deal, here's the price. You know, it's like it's like a candy bar or like a uh, lawnmower or whatever else you want to buy. Like, there's no haggling, and and they all use that in their ads, but it's never true. This is the no haggle employee pricing. Like, all right, yeah, but they're still for a while. I, I I know
0: I've mentioned this before for a while, like in the late 2000s, I think uh, GM had a sale that was like uh, the the no haggle employee sales event yeah. where uh, whatever vehicle you wanted, you got it for the employee price. But the caveat was there's no. There's no haggling. It was just like a bare minimum price that they could sell it for, and built into that price was an amount that the dealer got paid for selling it. And it's great. Their sales fucking boomed because of that.
1: Yeah. See, I would still expect to go in and haggle. Like, I would, I, I, I would just not trust any ad for a car dealer that I saw. You know, unless it was okay, delivered yeah. by a uh, licensed radio DJ. I would only,
0: <laughs> and only during
1: a live broadcast. Let me say. Wait, we have to <laughs> trust those we implicitly. Have to be licensed? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not at all. Um, <laughs> but I, I wrote my own license. Uh, but I wish it. I wish more stuff was was like that. Uh, back out on the test drive. Kramer uh, is noting that the uh, gas, the fuel gauge, is still a little bit before the end of the slash. Right uh, at the end of where the gas gauge is, and the salesman is really getting into it. Back of the showroom, Jerry and George are sitting down with Putty, and Jerry tells George to vein it up, <laughs> which I thought was a great <laughs> third reference of the vein, um, without saying, hey, it's popping out again. Like, all right, George, vein it up. But George starts veining it up about the mechanic stealing his candy bar. <laughs> uh, and this is one of my favorite gags in the whole thing. He's like, He's got a short name, Sam, Mo, Saul. Um, and... Uh, is, is upset about the candy bar and not helping Jerry at all, and J- Jerry at all. And the car is now yellow because putty can't give Jerry a black one for the price that he's giving him one. So <laughs> the car is now yellow, um, back out on the test drive. The car is now below the slash and the salesman says he feels so alive and they have to keep going all the way like Thelma and Louise. I think Kramer obviously hasn't seen it. I think it's come up before the movie Thelma Louise, but he's like, he doesn't know. He's like, they drove, I think he's like, did they drive to a dealership? He's like, no, they drove off a cliff. Uh, But the, (laughs) the salesman is really now living for this test drive. Back over the dealership. Jerry calls Elaine to have her get back together with Putty. And he's freaking out at the dealership. And Elaine pulls the classic Jerry line. Who is this? Which I love. I always (laughs) love it. One of my, one of my favorite series runners um elaine uh, starts negotiating to go go back down there and makes a deal for she's like all right well you got to pay my cab fare back down there and i want lunch i didn't like arby's and he's like oh i'm not getting you lunch and she's like i'll hang up right now <laughs> uh, and i love her like almost costanza delivery of that line yes and he's like all yeah. right fine but yeah i'll hang up right now <laughs> um Back over in the vending machine room, George is complaining about again Kip or Ned, short name, and the guy at the counter is like, "Maybe it was a hundred thousand dollar bar." And George is like, "Nope, that's rice and caramel." I love how much George knows about candy. Um, yes, like he knows the old slogans. Twix is the only cookie or the only candy with the cookie crunch. Uh, he knows what the difference between a thousand dollar bar and rice and caramel is. The lady pokes her head around the corner. And is like, "Did you know they renamed it the hundred grand?" And all George wants is this was this was one of my favorite lines. I just want my 75 cents. I want an apology and I want him to be fired. (laughs) This was so great. I love this. (laughs) It escalated so quickly. Um, And everyone else in the room just starts conversing uh, like between themselves about not worried about George's situation at all. But just (laughs) just talking about candy. Yeah. Candy and how much you could get for a nickel. Uh, back in the day and stuff like that the
0: the the guy talking about how much you get for a nickel and like the the chocolate swirls on on the commercials it's candy they all have chocolate (laughs) swirls the guy talking about a nickel is the guy at the counter's dad yeah and then someone just chimes in you make your dad
1: sit (laughs) here all day and he just says he likes it likes it uh and the guy who (laughs) talks about the swirling chocolate too also is like um oh I don't like Twix cuz I don't like coconut. He's like there's no coconut. We, we spoke a lot about uh working
0: uh for radio stations uh appearing at car dealerships on behalf of my wife who has worked for a car dealership. There's nothing more spot on than an old person with nothing to do with their day hanging out every day <laughs> at a car dealership.
1: Wow, that's crazy. I I guess I, a lot of them do have you know, kind of nice waiting areas. There's a TV. It's always on Fox news, which they love. I <laughs> don't know why. Um, yeah. And, and there's free coffee and uh, you know, even sometimes some snacks. I don't mind. Uh, I really like car dealership coffee to me. car Like you really, yeah, I know you're going to call me crazy, but like Keurig should start selling car dealer flavors because you know, they sell like donut shop <laughs> coffee. And to me, like, that tastes awful. But sell me car dealer coffee. I never understood, like, donut shop coffee is god awful. Like, what's that supposed to taste like? But- I mean, I'm I'm not
0: I'm not big on donut shop coffee, but what is the distinct flavor of car dealership coffee that you're talking about? I don't know if I've like drank enough dealership coffee to to know the flavor profiles of it,
1: you know, I wish I could tell you. And now that I'm thinking about it, I was about to say it tastes a little more metallic, and maybe it is. <laughs> you know how much uh, taste is tied to smell? Some, maybe even more than your taste buds. People say your nose has more to do with what oh, you taste. So maybe it's just new car smell. All of the cars while drinking your coffee. Yeah, it's new car smell coffee. I think that might be what it is. I think we just unlocked it. H- hang on one sec. Sorry. What's up?
0: Actually, Tim, since we are on the topic of car dealership coffee, uh, my wife wants to join in here for a quick (laughs) second because not only did she work at a car dealership and she saw all of the old people who have nothing better to do with their day hang out at the dealership all day long. Yeah. She's the one who made the coffee. Wow. Wow. It's true. I did. (laughs) So Um, what's the secret? So
1: at least the dealership where I worked, I won't say their name, um... (laughs) If the coffee was cold, but it wasn't ran out yet, to save cost, we brewed over top of it, so it was
0: uh, extra aged, spicy <laughs> aged to perfection, and uh, never <laughs> fresh.
1: Mm, so stale coffee. I bet that's part of it. What whatever it is. I mean that. I mean that. That you could say the same for diner coffee. I mean, a lot of time that's you know they they go through a lot of pots, but sometimes that's just like sitting on the burner and all like just it's just burned beans and brewed on top. Yeah, it's so- like It's like McDonald's coffee. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whatever it is, that doesn't turn me off of of what dealership coffee is. I will not stop (laughs) drinking it. (laughs) <laughs> next time i go in i'm gonna bring like a, a to-go mug like a travel mug full like a, a giant 20 like a, or i'll get like a 48 or, ounce sheets travel mug <laughs> like,
0: or, All right, or maybe in your or maybe in your negotiation you can haggle to get a free uh travel coffee mug that's what we did whenever our last haggle i was like hey if you throw in a couple of those travel mugs we'll be good
1: nice yeah i'm gonna have to remember that although i hope i don't need a car for another fifty thousand miles at least <laughs> and we're we're almost paid off on on our other one the one that I might have gotten oh, a deal man. on I'm suspicious I know it's a it's a great feeling here's hoping
0: the engine doesn't totally shit the bed as soon as yeah. you get it
1: paid off well that one should be fine it's the 09 that I'm worried about but oh on, really yeah on my 04 I put like 175,000 on there before and it, it was—it didn't even crap out. We just wanted to trade yeah. it in. It was still running like day one, and so this this O nine is too, and it, it hasn't even cracked hundred. And the last time I took it in for inspection, I'm like, oh great, here it comes. And the guy's like, yeah, you just need a brake light. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's amazing. And it, it wasn't even my main brake light. He's like, you need a third brake light. So it yeah. was like the it was like the third string brake light on the side or some crap. Uh, and so I was like, that's amazing. And I got that means for a full year, I'm good.
0: Yeah. I I wish I could be as lucky currently with my fucking 2015. There's Ugh. nothing really mechanical with it, but the air conditioner is crapping out. I don't yeah. know what is wrong with it. Um but it's it'll just decide to blow like all humid like outside <laughs> air <laughs> and it sucks. That and someone hit the front quarter of it, Ugh. the left front quarter panel uh and now my driver door will only open like six inches. So I have to crab walk (laughs) out of it.
1: Uh, Well, you'll be fine in Texas with no AC, I'm sure.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I I don't I don't think we'll need it down there.
1: Your car will fit right in. There's no AC in Texas. The power grid keeps uh, crapping out. So (laughs) (laughs) you'll be fine. So back in the showroom, Elaine shows up and Jerry now starts negotiating with them. What do I have to do to put you two in a relationship today? (laughs) Uh, treating them like car buyers uh, back at the over at a gas station. Kramer stops for snacks and says, I'll get us some Twix. But the salesman says, oh, no coconut for me. And then Kramer goes, oh, I'll get you a Mounds, uh, which obviously does have coconut <laughs> A callback uh, an inadvertent callback to the uh, well, inadvertent to them. It was definitely it was advertent to the writers, of course. Kramer, as he runs out, stops the salesman from filling up the car as he was about to with a rousing speech and he's like, I want you to be there when we roll into the dealership. And and they say, Kramer and that other guy, they went further than anybody. <laughs> and Stan uh, or the the salesman is like, uh, you know, the car makes a little noise. Like, maybe we better get going. He's like, you know, and Kramer goes, that's my boy, Stan, or something like that. And he's like, it's Frank, by the way. And Kramer yells, no time as he jumps in the car. Does he say does he say Frank? I, that's what I heard. And I didn't turn captions on. So what? what do you what do you have? I I didn't have my captions on either, weirdly enough, but I heard Rick. Oh, (laughs) Uh, I bet we can find this out right now. I'll just do a quick search for Stan. There we go. It's good to have you back, Stan. Oh, it's Rick, by the way. There we go. All right. Which is short for Frederick. No, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You just picked the second half. Um, Yeah, I don't know why I heard Fred. Uh, yeah, it's Rick, by the way. Uh, but I love that Kramer's like, no time. <laughs> I don't have time to learn your real name. Back over at the dealership, George spent an hour setting up a candy <laughs> lineup to test the mechanics to see if he actually knows the difference between a Twix bar and a Fifth Avenue bar. Uh, he has 10 candy bars in all, and he opens up the office, and everybody from the waiting room is now eating all of the candy. And they were all Twix. Uh, and it was a setup, as George says, and they're all gone. Everyone has eaten them, and we get the spinning up shot where he yells, Twix!
0: I love so many things about this scene, um, but most of all, I loved the, before they walked into this room, the guy from the counter saying,
1: that took you an hour? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and... Why did he get 10 where did he get 10 Twix? Why didn't he buy anything else when he was at that store <laughs> to make himself not hungry anymore? Why didn't he just eat 10 He's, Twix bars that he bought? He was just blinded by rage apparently. Yeah, it's it's always about the principle for George and he, yeah. <laughs> revenge is more important than his actual hunger at this point. Um over at the uh in the showroom, um they hear George yelling Twix! And they remark like, "Oh, what was that?" And Putty goes, "Oh, there's a mental hospital near here." Um, <laughs> and so here's the deal that Jerry has worked out: Arby's no more than once a month, and <laughs> Elaine comes to Putty's softball game and doesn't read a book. Uh, so how does that look? And they're both looking, and Jerry even has it on a clipboard, and Putty's kind of pointing like, oh, "I could live with that." Yeah, yeah, that looks good. And so they're <laughs> back together. And so now back to Jerry's deal. He's like, "Look, the uh, the rust proofing or." I forget what he says, the undercoating or whatever. And Putty's like, yeah, we don't even know what it does. So the deal's back on for Jerry's car. Back out on the test drive. They're taking the exit for the dealership. The needle broke off a long time ago, as Kramer says. And the, and Rick says, things are going to be different for me from now on. And Kramer goes, that's a weird thing to say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, but they,
1: they decide to grab the, each other's hands and they gun it past the exit, just like Thelma and Louise. <laughs> uh, in a cab later... Uh, Jerry, Elaine, and George are in there because at the close of the deal, Jerry would not give Putty a high five. And Jerry says uh. the high five is just like the wave air quotes and the phrase, don't go there. If he doesn't put to stop to it now, pretty soon everyone's going to be doing it. And it's weird to think uh. that... <laughs> what?
0: Just this is like everyone now on fucking Twitter. Uh, actually, no. You know what? I think this is much more suited for people in uh when was it like 2013 who were like oh i am not saying yolo
1: <laughs> yeah 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 the, the more trend haters the same people who are like and this is yeah. more of jerry being the mm, repost if you have never seen any star <coughs> wars movies not anybody <laughs> i no one can repost this um yeah, so <laughs> he's being gatekeepy again in that way that, like, you know, things people like. It's weird to think that air quotes was at one point a new trendy thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess the phrase don't go there, but I can see that being <laughs> that's like slang of its time, you know?
0: Yeah. Of, of all of those things, air quotes definitely had the most staying power. I think. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. I remember. I wonder when this was because it had to have been early 2000s so not too far removed from this but I remember them being like you know again something that like anybody could do that kind of got a laugh um and I remember Dane Cook hosting SNL and him doing like rock quotes where you know you'd like put up your put up the devil horns like rock and roll but then you do air quotes with those and thinking that was kind of funny because you know Dane Cook was still uh hot at the time (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't know when he hosted the first time though. But but anyway, it was it was er, definitely early 2000s, and so still still a trendy enough thing at the time to make a joke out of. Uh, so they pass Kramer and Rick screaming uh, and passing the exit, and Jerry remarks that there's probably you know that's probably people from the mental hospital. And Kramer and Rick stop on the side of the road, still kind of screaming but stopping. They're still holding hands, and they're now out of gas on the shoulder just past where the exit is. And Kramer goes, I'll think about it. Just gets out of the car on the highway. <laughs> and Rick yells, you have my card? And that's the end of the episode. Except we do get an audio stinger. Did you stick around for this? I did. And I think there was something much
0: better that they could have used in the episode. But we, we get yeah. the old man at the counter going, a nickel.
1: Yeah. What well, what do you think they should have used?
0: Uh, definitely George screaming, Twix!
1: Yes, I agree. Totally agree. Yeah, and and uh, I got to point out right away, this is an episode where we don't see, well, we see Elaine's apartment, but we don't see anybody else's apartment. No Jerry's apartment, in other words, and that means wow, no yeah. Superman in this episode. Jeez. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, what do we got for homework for this week? Uh, Ed Begley Jr. What was the deal with him and being a punchline for electric cars in the '90s? Uh, what what is the lay car? and what is the deal with Saab's supplemental restraint? Hmm. Okay, so a lot of a lot of car talk. Yeah, it's gonna be car talk. Appropriate.
0: <laughs> uh God. Okay. Uh, what do you like for cover this week?
1: Ah, uh, man. Good question. What do you th- what do you think? There's a lot of good. I
0: I don't know honestly. I, I if I'd love to pick something st- with
1: George and his whole deal. You know.
0: Yeah, I'd I'd love to get just like George staring longingly into the vending machine. <laughs> yeah, if, yeah. If I could get a good shot of that, Walmart's possibly like, oh, what I would Twix do with still you up there. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to try and see if I can get that.
1: Yeah, that's not bad. Uh, But maybe something with him at the complaint counter, if there's a good shot of the crowd there. (laughs) uh, And George freaking out uh, the first time. That, That might be pretty good, too. Yeah, all that stuff is pretty good.
0: All right. What do you... Let's see what we can do about this week's description. Okay. So we had, Jerry negotiates buying a car from Putty, period. George can't get a Twix out of a vending machine, period. Kramer takes a salesman on a thrilling test drive.
1: Man. I love all of that. I feel like we we could shorten George's. um, Jerry negotiates with Putty for a new car. Maybe we could even slide Elaine into there and say, "I don't want it to be become too wordy, but like Jerry needs Elaine. Jerry, what about Jerry enlists Elaine to buy a car from Putty, or to help buy a car from to help buy a car from Putty." Jerry
0: needs Elaine's help buying a car from Putty.
1: Yeah. Jerry needs Elaine's help buying a car from Putty. That's not bad. And it's,
0: it, it's not. But um, since that becomes a little bit longer, I think George's can be shortened to just George has vending machine troubles.
1: Yeah. George. What do you think of that? George has vending machine. Um, George has vending machine troubles. I feel like we could even... Like what if we switch the subject around and like make it a vending machine troubles George or a vending machine Ooh. Let's say uh um I
0: like a vending machine troubles George.
1: Yeah, I I hate the alliteration, but I'd love to use the word vex. Um a vending machine <laughs> vexes George. A vending machine irritates George, infuriates George. Um. Um.
0: I, I think. I think. Infuriates. Infuriates also works because. Yeah. i I. I like vexes or vexed. But how many five dollar words do we see in Seinfeld descriptions? I. I feel like you're not really gonna see that and not have
1: a huh? What is going on here? Reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So. well, oh, What about torment? A vending machine torments George.
0: Hmm. That gives it a little more like spooky, like <laughs> supernatural, long game. Yeah, that's true. It sounds like it's following him home. <laughs> it is, but in in uh, in effect, it really is because it's all he can think about. It's consuming his entire being. Yeah. It is tormenting him. I torment. like that.
1: All right. Yeah, I was gonna say torment is an all-consuming emotion. So yeah. So Jerry needs Elaine's help buying a car from Putty. Jo- uh, a vending machine torments George, and. Kramer, Kramer takes, takes a...
0: I I like Kramer as is. Kramer yeah, takes yeah. a salesman on a thrilling test drive. Yeah. That's I like the that.
1: best tease out of all of them. That was. Yeah. So I agree. I agree. It's a little long, but what can you do?
0: <laughs> oh boy. Uh, okay. So what did you think of this episode after having seen it for the first time in, in how many years have you seen this in the last 10 years or so?
1: I'm sure it's popped up in in syndication or whatever. I'm sure it's one of the ones that I've seen, um, but I think it is my favorite episode of season nine so far. Ooh,
0: okay, yeah. Um, I'm the same way. I loved everything about this episode. I thought it was so funny. Uh, I, I think it's definitely my top of season nine uh, so far. Yes, and man, I, I I just enjoyed this episode so much. And, and I'm thinking, I'm like. Trying to piece together other episodes throughout the entire series that I liked as much as this one. It's a very short list.
1: Yeah, wow. Did, it, did any specifically come to mind or you were just like...
0: N- not off the top of my mind right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would have to look and uh, maybe even like listen back to some of our episodes. Right. Like how I reacted to some episodes. But this is definitely a top episode.
1: Yeah, and I was trying to think about why I liked it so much. And one of the things it was, like, I started almost right away. I got, like, five good laughs in, like, the first three minutes of this episode. I (laughs) I looked, I paused, and I was like, I'm cracking up already so much of this episode, and we're barely into it. So I laughed all the way through, and that's one of the most important things when it comes to a Seinfeld episode. But also, I wonder if the—I mean, for— you know, for all intents and purposes, this is kind of a bottle episode. You know, I mean, I think it was yeah, the the yeah. location and the fact that they broke so much from the format and showed just how well they can adapt is also a reason that I liked it. You know, it, it it was about one thing that everybody goes through. Obviously, I have a lot of emotions about car buying, so they hit the nail on the head there. And this goes back to the Chinese restaurant. Like, it's a show about nothing. Like that was about waiting for mm-hmm. a table at a Chinese restaurant. This is about buying a car and all the boredom and hours and hours that that takes, you know? Um, But it's something everyone goes through and it was just such a great... Yeah, I I think that's one of the reasons I liked it is the location.
0: I think one of the things that helped my enjoyment of it, and this might factor into how I watch every other episode that we have left, I took very few notes. I I only paused this a few times, and where yeah. it normally takes me an hour and a half to watch these episodes, I had this done in forty minutes.
1: Nice, yeah. Maybe
0: maybe shorter.
1: Yeah, this is this is a great one. It's going to be tough to beat. Uh,
0: it, it it really is, especially especially with season nine. Yeah. Um. With, with how many great episodes we've had so far this yeah. season? Yeah. Uh, okay, so next week or I. Next episode, uh, whether or not we take a a, uh, mini life change hiatus next week, that is to be determined. Uh, But next episode, we have got season nine, episode 12, The Reverse People, original air date, January 15th, 1998. And if you are looking in TV Guide that night, you are going to see Jerry gets a bag that looks like a purse, period. Mm -hmm. Huddy wears a fur coat, period. (laughs) George's wallet is stuffed too full, period. (laughs) Newman has an affair with the Super's wife
1: period wow there's a lot of information in there i think we're gonna be able to marry some of these storylines together <laughs> but we'll see uh next week so yeah this one uh is gonna be i think it's gonna be another good one i'm expecting good things so is that it yeah i think that's it all right for no hugging no learning i'm tim murphy i'm ted hollowell be good